Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. We are in our series called Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude, exploring the themes and modern-day connections of the Heidelberg Catechism. Hello, everybody. My name is Rob Samuelson. I'm an elder at Generations Church, and with me today, as always, is my friend and pastor, Jeff, Jeff Luddington. Jeff, how are you doing today? I am well, Rob. Thank you. Uh, we've had a bumpy start for everybody who doesn't know this. We've uh, had some tech glitches this morning, so hopefully we'll get through this and everybody will be able to hear your silky, smooth, buttery voice and uh, my profound input, and they will have a wonderful day. No, probably none of that's true, but hey, I hope it works well. Um, couple things, Rob, before we get started, man. Um, I, I believe I said this last episode. I'm not sure if I've said it more than that, but we're adding show notes. And so what that means is a podcast is considered a show. When you look it up in podcasts on Apple or Google or Spotify or wherever you you know get your podcast from, there's a place where you can put some notes. And so we've started adding the questions and answers we're talking about and started adding some of the Bible references we've been giving. And so uh, we want people, if you're, you know, in the car or, you know, on a run listening to be able to circle back and say, what was that verse they were talking about? Or what, what was the question they were talking about? And so we've added that for you, the listener, your convenience. And we want to, we're here to serve you. Uh, we're not doing this just to glorify ourselves, but hopefully to glorify Jesus. And so uh, what we are doing is the Heidelberg Catechism, a 450 year old uh, document or a way of educating younger Christians Oftentimes, a father to a son, or maybe a uh, a mature believer to a brand new believer. And so, a catechism is just a way of learning, memorizing questions and answers. So you memorize truth, just like you might in school. You memorize dates. Uh, you know, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in what 1492. We memorize that stuff just so we can not pass tests, but so that we can have information. And as it relates to our faith, we want to memorize truth, the truth of Scripture so that as we go about our life, uh, that we will be able to have those truths ready for us. Does that sound about right, Rob? Yes, it does. Oh, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey, man, so today is episode 40, which in the Heidelberg Catechism is called Lord's Day 40, and so broken out into 52 weeks starting on Sunday, Lord's Day. Like, think of, you might do this in a Sunday school classroom or something and study it throughout the week. And so we're in episode 40. We've got, uh, man, after today, we've got 12 more. Uh, Today's got three questions and answers in the catechism. They're technically called Q&A 105, 106, and 107. We're just going to walk through them. So if you've never heard any of this before, you can just pick up where we are today. And if you like what we're doing, you can go back through our podcast and listen to prior episodes. You ready, Rob? I am. This is one of those commandments that I think... New Christians read this and this commandment and say, oh, I got this. Finally, one I can I can do. <laughs> and then you read the question and answer and go, wait a minute. There's more to it than that. So let's hit it. What you're it. saying is we're going to ruin people's data. <laughs> we gonna, are. They think they're good. We're going to jack it all up. Hopefully, we're going to lead them to the need for a savior. See, now that's why I have you as a partner <laughs> in this. All right. All right. Question and answer. 105, 106, 107. I'm going to ask the questions. Rob's going to give us the answers, and then we're going to talk about it. So here it is, first one. What is God's will for you in the sixth commandment? I am not to belittle, hate, insult, or kill my neighbor. Not by my thoughts, my words, 
my look or gesture, and certainly not by my actual deeds. And I am not to be party to this in others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with the sword. 106, does this commandment refer only to murder? By the way, before you answer that, we are in the Ten Commandments, and the commandment we're talking about, the Sixth Commandment, is thou shalt not murder, and so or commit murder. So that's what we're doing. Question 106, does this commandment refer only to murder, Rob? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are disguised forms of murder. Hmm, that's good. All right, final question, 107. Is it enough, then, that we do not murder our neighbor in any such way? No. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly toward them, to protect them from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. That's great, man. So as we are in the Ten Commandments, we're in part of the Catechism. The Catechism goes through several things, Apostles' Creed, Ten Commandments. It will go through the Lord's Prayer, uh, just all these good things. And so now we're talking about the command from God to people uh, in part of the Ten Commandments, the sixth one that says, Thou shalt not commit murder. Now, if you're in the U.S. and you're listening to this, we have this in uh, our Supreme Court still, and many of our courts still have the Ten Commandments hung. And so uh, displayed. And I know that that's been uh, secularism has wanted to take those out of that, but currently still exists. So inside of the Supreme Court and inside of many other courts, there is the thou shalt not commit murder words spoken by God to Moses for the people of God. And so that's where we are today. Rob, as always, we look at uh, modern day themes and connections of the Heidelberg Catechism. Not what they were talking about 450 years ago necessarily, but What's relevant today? Right. Well, I think I think the first thing I'd like to dig into is just the idea when when I'm talking to my high school students and, and we're working through these things, um, a lot of them fixate on the question of um, murder. What is considered murder? What is not? Um, is there such a, a thing as as uh, justifiable killing? Um, so let's just start with that, and then we'll dig into some of the stuff that's going on today in our society. Super cool, man. Light and easy. Really waiting in slowly. <laughs> <laughs> so is there a justified way to kill someone? That's a great, great jumping off point. So uh, simple answer. The command is thou shalt uh, not murder. Truly translated. That's how it should read. Um, there are other Hebrew words that are different that would mean more kill. Uh, like when you uh, offer a sacrifice and you kill a lamb, as an example, there's a different word. Um there is accidental death. So in modern day language, English terms, there's murder, there's manslaughter, there's killing, there's this, there's that, right? So if someone gets in a car accident um, because they fall asleep at the wheel and go through a red light and they kill someone, um, that's a fact. It's a homicide. It's a kill. But it wasn't a murder. Murder has a different implication. Murder means uh, you did something um, with the possibility of killing him. It's like as if you if you were to shoot into a crowd, you didn't single out a person, but you were definitely doing something that caused a death because of something you were doing on purpose. Um, in our country, first-degree murder is premeditated murder, meaning you sought out to murder someone. You 
plotted out to murder the person who killed or hurt your friend. And so there's there's different levels of this. And so, yes, the Bible gives some difference and some distinction there. The United States gives some difference and distinction there. And of course, we're looking for biblical truth, not just the U.S., but um, it is important to distinguish terms at that point. Um, one of the passages in the scripture that I think is really um, is really good for this is Leviticus chapter 20, and I'll, I'll post the whole verse in our show notes, um, but really it says this, you know, starts off with verse one, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the people Israel of Israel, any one of the people, blah, 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 who do this. And then like verse one or two, excuse me, says, who gives any of his children to Molech, sure, surely be put to death. And what that means is Molech was this false god that required you to offer sacrifices of your child, to put to death your child. And so um, that's one thing. It says, if you do that, you should be put to death, right? And uh, if the people of the land do it all to close their eyes to that man, blah, 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 who sacrifices his child and does not put him to death, then I'll set my face against them. So God is saying there's a case for a death penalty here, right? And he goes on, he says, if a man commits adultery with his wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now, if you're an American listener and unfamiliar with the Bible, that can be some shocking things. Like if you cheat on your wife with some other married person, both you and the other person should be put to death. That's crazy. If and then it goes on next verse. If a man lies with his father's wife, sleeps with his stepmom, in other words, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Goes on, it goes on, it goes on. And uh, if a man takes a woman, her mother also, it is depravity, and they shall be burned with fire. I mean, like, it, it's, it's crazy, right? And so there are lots of cases where God says there's an appropriate death penalty. Now, I have to throw this in there before people just wig out. Um, the things that God says to Israel through Leviticus is very different than what God might say to us today in America, and that is hard to understand. Um, God is speaking in that moment to a people group that are supposed to preserve the faith. They are supposed to be people of faith, and they are going to be a nation governed by God, no president, no king, governed by God. Very, very different setting. It's considered a theocracy, meaning governed by God, and that their job was to take the very infant size of their faith, to take that and to announce it to the world, to take the gospel to the world. And so in that, God made incredibly strict rules. Um, so we have to not look to them for specific if you do this, then you do this. We don't do that necessarily, but we look to the values. And I don't want to dig any deeper than if that, that there, God does prescribe a way where a death penalty is the right punishment. Modern day culture, if you commit murder with intention to murder, you will, you can be tried and put to death in America. If you, uh, capital treason, which almost never happens, you can be put to death. Um, if you go on a mass killing spree or um, mass sexual violence, there are states that will allow you to be you know, tried and put to death for that. And so the Bible does make room for that. So that would be kill through judicial system, right? Um, Leviticus 20 is a, a good support for that. There's many, many, many passages in Scripture for that um, in the Old Testament. And uh, it, it is reflected back into the New Testament. 
Sometimes God calls his people to go to war. There's a concept there. There's a lot to that, the, the concept or the theory of just war. Um, that's hard to unpack in our culture. But again, you're talking about a theocracy where God was leading them. So you have to import into our culture. Um, and so, no, should everything be, you know, if somebody cheats on their wife, do I think they should be put to death today? No. In a different setting, different context. But if you ask me, do I think there should be a death penalty? I think there are cases that the Bible says for sure you should be put to death. One of them is, is murder. The Bible's clear about that. And it goes on to the next passage to talk about that. The other one is that if a man strikes and beats a woman who is pregnant and they lose that child, there's a penalty for losing that unborn child. And so that's one of the things that people who talk about abortion, uh, that they, they use that passage. And so we're talking about not committing murder. So you yourself, the listener, me, myself, the person, I am not to take the life or death of another person subjectively by my own choice into my hands. That's the guidelines. Anything outside of that includes governmental authority, uh, you know, presidential in our case, or, you know, kings in history or whatever, armies, different things. But for us, the command is for me not to take justice into my own hands and not to go commit murder. Right. That's, and it shows the, uh, how serious God is about um, preserving life and something Absolutely. that we need to take seriously as well. Um, and again, I, I will have students that will say, and we mentioned this at the beginning of the show, I'm good on this one. I haven't done that. But the, right. the catechism also mentions, you know, I'm not to belittle. I'm not to hate. I'm not to insult. Um, so there's so much more to it that I'm not to do. But we've talked about in previous commandments, there's also a positive side to this. What am I to do if I'm not to do those things? Um, Psalm 82, 3 and 4, one of my favorite uh, give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Um, so what would you say if somebody said, well, how do I live this out? Yeah, people are often, I think, and, and this is this is human nature, so I'm not overtly just criticizing everybody, but people have a tendency towards, like, how far can I go without being in sin? Right. Young people that are, you know, like in youth groups or something saying, OK, I know I'm not supposed to sleep with my girlfriend until we're married and she becomes my wife. But how far can I go? Always tends to be a question. And so this is the so like if I haven't committed murder, am I good is kind of that version of like, how much can I get away with? And this uh, Jesus takes these things and he he makes them not about what we can't do uh, or what is the line but how do we prevent ourselves from getting there? Like Jesus will go on to say, hey, I know it says if you commit adultery, he says, but I say, don't even lust after somebody. Like don't, because when you do, you've had a, you've committed adultery in your heart or don't hate anyone. When you hate someone, you've committed murder in your heart. And so the catechism is more reflective of those kind of things. When it says, you know, I am not to belittle hate, insult, or kill my neighbor. It takes far more into consideration than actually just the murder of someone else or the death of someone else, but the, the very sins and intentions that lead up to death. And so on the positive side, Jesus says things like this. this is probably one of the most famous things Jesus says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? So um, we see that reflected in uh, many of the Gospels. That was specifically Luke 10, 27. Um, but what God, what what Jesus is saying is the first and greatest command, he's answering a Pharisee's question in that context. 
the greatest commandment is to love God with every bit of you. And if we're loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're not trying to figure out where is the line of sin, how close can I get to sin? We're really asking how far away from sin can I be? And it's a way better to, way better to live a life of saying how far away from sin can I be rather than how close to the fire can I get without being burned, right? And the second half of that is you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Or Paul says to the Philippians in uh, chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Do nothing of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So loving others is to make more of them than we do of our own selves. And so Jesus really puts these two things out there, and he says, listen, the Ten Commandments are really that. The first four are about loving God wholeheartedly. The last six are about loving your neighbor as yourself. And so for us, uh, what we talk about is how can I love others? And uh, how can I be kind? Not how do I not hate, but how do I love? And so it's, it's much easier for us to aim at the things we're called to do, know the lines and know the things that push us up to the line, right? Of the things that get us in trouble. But rather than aiming at what we're not supposed to do, let's aim at what we're supposed to do. How do we become people who love justice, who love people, who uh, defend our neighbor? I love that one in the in the, the catechism question, right? That we should defend our neighbors in any such way we can, right? But we should aim at what we're called to do, not what we're called to not do. Better to keep our eye on the ball <laughs> than to think about how do I not strike out? You know, just how do I how do I hit this ball, man? How do I stay right in the zone? where God is calling me to be? How do I become the person like Jesus, not the opposite? Great. Yeah. And focusing on the idea of protecting our neighbor, protecting those um, who maybe cannot protect themselves. Um, I see a lot of, of criticism toward Christians, especially in social media, um, where you will see Christians kind of focusing on one aspect of this. You'll see a lot of, you mentioned uh, abortion. You'll see a lot of people post um, you know, anti-abortion messages and, and things like that. Um, but criticism will come up when people say, well, you're so passionate about that. What about once those children are born and they're in poverty or they're yeah. in the foster system? Or what about the homeless? What about this? Um, I don't think people see the consistency of, you know, are we looking out for everyone or are we picking and choosing who we look out for? Um, so how do you how do you live a consistently biblical life in this aspect? And can you say, well, I am pro-life in every situation? Or you mentioned earlier, you know, when yeah. the death penalty comes in, you know, right. you're not you're not pro-life necessarily in that situation. Yeah. So let me give you two answers to that. Now, first off, I'll, I'll kind of give a parenthetical note up front. I don't really say I'm pro-life ever, and I, I am super against abortion. Um, but most people that suggest or that, that say they are pro-life um, are anti-abortion. And many of them, if they're consistent, are anti-death penalty. And I'm not anti-death penalty. I'm not super pro-death penalty. I know that there's a lot of human error. So I, I'm not running out saying we should kill everybody who does X amount of things, right? I'm not that. But I am adamantly anti-abortion. Um, I am open to death penalty in some cases. So I just tend to say what I am. I'm anti-abortion. And I know that there's a marketing branding thing that people are pro-life or they're pro-choice. You know, nobody wants to say I'm pro-abortion. They say I'm pro-choice. And nobody wants to say I'm anti-abortion. I'm pro-life. And so there's a marketing branding thing that politics do with this. But I'm more honest about just, hey, man, I'm against this and I'm for this over here. And I try and parse that out more clearly 
because so many Christians are viewed as hypocrites in this. And if I am going to answer your question, uh, let me give you two answers. One to the non-believer. If the non-believer poses that and says, hey, man, I see Christians kind of contradicting themselves or, you know, if the person's not polite, like, hey, man, it looks like all Christians are hypocrites, you know, might say something really blunt. Um, I would probably tend to agree with them that there's a lot of hypocrisy in inside of humans, Christians, people that really do love Jesus, want to follow Jesus. We're all flawed, right? And we want to follow this verse, but we miss this verse. You know, we want to say marriage is between one man and one woman and talk about traditional marriage, but we're not very good at preventing divorce inside the church and caring for marriages, which is also a piece of traditional marriage. So there's a lot of places where we need to do better. And I'm not anti-church. I'm not anti-Christian. I'm honest that we are flawed people. So to the non-believer, I'd say, I think you're right. I think Christians tend to, and I'm sure I'm guilty of this, pick and choose the things that we champion and sometimes the things that we ignore. So for me, I want to, you know, if I say, you know, uh, where I think, um, you know, liberal politically Christians in America uh, versus conservative Christians politically in America. The conservatives are very quick to say they're not for abortion, and I agree with them in that. Um, but you're right. As soon as that child is born, and if that child happens to be born to someone who came across the border illegally, they no longer want to defend that illegal immigrant or anchor baby or whatever, or poverty, or race, or whatever. And so I think that's a flaw one side is better at caring for the marginalized. One is more is better at caring for the unborn. We need to be all of it, and 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 we need to get outside of politics. You know, you know this, and if you guys listen to us on Sundays, my messages are very very critical of both sides of politics right now. Though I'm conservative, and though I vote, and often find myself like everybody else voting for the lesser of two evils or the, the most palatable choice among bad choices, um, I think we need to be less, less um, idolatrous about our politics, and we need to be more biblically centered and admit, hey, this party has some flaws and this party has some flaws, but we, so we don't need to get caught up in that. How do I pursue the rights of the unborn, which are the most vulnerable, the most, you know, like they're, they're the ones that cannot defend themselves in any way, Right. We need to defend that. We also need to defend the poor. And, you know, what people think about race in America or whatever, right now there's a conversation to be had about being more vulnerable if you're a young black man. We live in L.A. County. Right? I mean, you're, you're far more vulnerable if you're young, black, live in Compton than you and I are living in our suburbs. And so that's just a reality. And, and we need to deal with that. And I'm, however people view that, we need to, as Christians, be able to champion all life. So if we are opposed to any murder or any revenge or anything like that, and we are for loving our neighbor, right? And when Jesus, when Jesus is asked, who's your neighbor? The example he gives is a Samaritan, <laughs> right? And he gives the example of someone from another country who's despised by the Jewish people. And like he really pushes that immigrant race um, narrative right there. And so we as Christians need to do better than the political culture we in, and we really need to champion life, justice, care, loving one another, and not just finding the edge of sin or the limitations of our political parties and being, you know, just so myopically focused on a team. Right, that's a great way to put it. It's, it's about the fact that um, 
loving our neighbor, all of our neighbors, not just the ones that we're passionate about. But, um, you know, obviously everybody has a, a limited amount of time in a day, a limited amount of energy. And so you want to focus on the things where God has given you a passion, um, yeah. but don't overlook the other areas. And if you can support them, pray for them, um, champion them as much as you can on, on social media. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think all of us just need to daily work on loving our neighbors better. And that'll lead into all the rest of the commandments that we're going to focus on. Yeah. Before you wrap us up, man, let me, let me say that. I, you just said something really good. Like if you're for a cause, man, be for a cause. If you're opposed to abortion, you want to champion that, do that. Uh, be honest about your, if you are inconsistent, right? If you don't care for, it's not that you don't care for, but if you're not also championing born life, right? People that are born into circumstances, again, the child of an illegal immigrant didn't choose that any more than the child of someone who aborts chooses that. So, I mean, we can say they're equally unguilty of that situation, right? Um, and so uh, be honest, hey man, I struggle with this, but I'm really about this. And, and just, I think the transparency makes Christians far more trustworthy in that. My passion right now, and, and this has been for us for some time this last season, is to point out the inconsistencies and to point out the idolatry of our political parties, right? And, and so I am championing that. I'm trying to show there's holes in both sides. I just want us to be honest. I, I'd like to see, so the, the thing I'm passionate about right now, I'd like to erase some of the either intentional or unintentional hypocrisy that others see as we speak, right? So when someone I disagree with is just getting hammered and slandered, I want to stand up for them. Just like when someone I agree with posts something on social media and gets slandered, I stand up for them. I want, to, I want to be more fair. I want to be more across the board. Even when I disagree with people, I want to champion what's right, you know? And so anyhow, as you wrap us up, I just want to say that, man. Let's, I, if we could work on the hypocrisy that other people see, the inconsistencies in our faith, I think we would do ourselves some, a great service. Great. That's, I think that's a great place to end right there. Uh, we want to thank you for listening to the Generations Church podcast. Just a reminder, we release a new guilt, grace, and gratitude episode every Tuesday. Uh, we hope you will um, give us a like, give us a review, share us uh, with your friends and neighbors and family members, and we hope you will join us again next week. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church, G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.